continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 86, Continuous Improvement and Compassionate Coaching with Erin Whalen. Erin Whalen is a coach whose practice is focused on serving the people who work with the grieving and dying. These are bereavement professionals who need perhaps more than anyone to be seen, heard and supported. Erin comes to coaching through the path of acting and the art of improvisation. Join me at the edges of Lane to hear her unique and compelling story. Erin Hoyle, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you so much for having me, Bella. I'm really happy to be here. I'm very glad to have you here. And I always love when uh, I'm talking to someone who is coaching because coaching is such a big part of the lean and continuous improvement world. And we can learn so much from people who are coaching, you know, coming from other backgrounds. So tell us about Erin and uh, what you what it is you do and tell us about your pathway to doing what you do today uh well it's been it's been a windy pathway um I think all of our lives if we look back on where we've been and where we are now it's just such a such a windy path so um I started my company in 2020 and you know there's a whole backstory of what I was doing before that but even since I founded my company in 2020 in the, in the middle of the pandemic, um, I, I didn't know what I was doing with it. Um, even in the past, you know, two years and change, I've been through a lot of different iterations of, of my business, compassionate coaching and, and what I do and who I serve and how I do it. And, um, so I think the, the short version is I come to this work from an acting background. I've been a professional actress in the DC area since 2006. And um, I've been freelancing since about that time. And uh, when it came time for the pandemic to hit, all of those freelance jobs went away. And so I had to start over and figure out what I, what I could do in the meantime. And that's when I founded my coaching company. And even that took a minute to figure out what in the world I was doing um, with compassionate coaching. But what it is today is I guide teams in the helping profession, particularly bereavement professionals and end-of-life professionals. And I want to fill their cups. And so I have programming that helps them feel seen and heard and helps them get through their days more easily. I particularly focus on some team building and communication skills training to help them uh, get their, get those cups filled so that they can just be in that profession, that really hard profession, as long as they want to be. Well, wow, that is really interesting. And I have to say it's really different. So um, I have had a previous guest on the show who um, actually uh, came out of I was part of the bereavement industry and, and we had a wonderful conversation about leadership and leading people um in the time of grief but it was very much focused on people who were um you know in a workplace and perhaps had a colleague or, or a spouse or partner who who passed away or some other loss that mm -hmm. caused them to grieve but we didn't talk about 
those folks who were, um, you know, in the in the bereavement industry, and um, and I, I just know during the pandemic that um, you know things were very very hard um, for them, as it was in you know, actually in healthcare as well. And I'm sure that there's been a lot of people thinking about, do I really want to do this anymore? So how do how do your clients um, find you? How do they come to you? And what do they ask for when they come? That's that's a really good question. So I so I'm based in the DC area. And so a lot of my um you know finding having them find me having me find them having us have a synergy is um a lot of different ways. Um I was very fortunate to present at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization's virtual conference in um September 2022. And then I'm slated to present again for them in April of 2023. So it's been lovely to be able to, you know, be there, you know, serving the people who are out in the field doing doing the work and, and to be able to reach them through that platform of, of conference, that conference. So that's been that's been really um a, just just a huge gift to be able to to do that. And then mm. um I recently told someone, I said, well, 2022 was kind of the year I was meeting a million people. So I'm really an introvert. Um, I do fine one-on-one, but if there's more than one person, I'm just, you know, very nervous. <laughs> and um, But I did start doing a ton of networking. And the more I refined my niche, which honestly has been less than a year since I've really like defined this exact niche. Um, the more I define my niche, the more, you know, it's such a unique niche that people would say, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, I, maybe you should meet so-and-so, or maybe you should, you know, oh, I know a gal, or I went to college with someone who's now doing this thing. And, and so I met all these people. And now the things that I do are so unique that I decided I want to bring them all together. So I'm actually hosting an event for all of them to come and and experience this thing that I do called playback theater. So, so th- you know, sometimes it's my own making of like, you meet so-and-so and they introduce you to so-and-so. And then I, I take all the so-and-sos and I put them together and I bring them to, to a space so they can meet each other and they can experience what I have to, to offer them in playback theater. So you're actually building a community then of, of people who perhaps were not in touch with each other very much before. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, that's yeah, it's it's the early stages, right? Like it's um my first one, my first one of these events is going to take place on March third. So, um, you know, just just a month away from our recording time, which will be, you know, the probably yeah, in the past. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll be in the past by the time this show goes goes, right. goes out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the first we'll, of many, uh, hopefully. <laughs> that's 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 great. So, okay, so explain to me, Aaron, yeah. how does acting make you a better coach? Mm. Um, wow. How long do I have? How long can I talk about this? Cause there's so many layers. Well, you've, you've got a little bit of time. So dive on in. Well, for one thing, one of the, one of the acting that I do primarily is a certain type of improv. And one of the, one of the beautiful, um, mandates, if you will, of improv is yes. And, And the theory is that, you know, when you're on stage with someone and you're doing, they're doing something like every time someone, you know, takes on a character or, or 
or gives you a role, like it's a gift. And so you always say yes to whatever that person is doing, but you can't just stop at yes. You have to move the scene along. And so after the yes is an and, and so yes, and is just this powerful part of improv and it is an amazing segue into coaching. So in coaching and the type of coaching I do is more communication skills coaching. Mm. Um, I started off as, as a life coach, you know, joining the ranks of 5 billion other life coaches on the planet. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I've been doing communication skills work for a long time. So that is where I excel and can really bring something different. And so, so yes, and is, is really helpful in coaching, um, specifically with communication coaching, right? Because it's, it's about, it's about conversation. It's about being with another person. It's about hearing their story and, and having them hear your story. And sometimes we're in our own silos. Sometimes we're just sitting, you know, in our own agendas, like Bella, I can see, you know, you nodded along, right? We're making eye contact with each other as well as we can on Zoom. There's an engagement and I can tell you're not just sitting there waiting for me to stop so that you can ask an unrelated question. You're engaged in what I'm saying, right? And so you're yes anding me right now. And so in communication coaching, yes and is, is very much at the root of, of what I do and how I help people. So yes and is is that is so powerful right because and we're so used to saying yes but and particularly mm -hmm. from you know often when people come into coaching you know they come into coaching because they want to improve something or, or meet a goal mm -hmm. and when they start to talk about their goal it's, there's always a lot of buts in their yeah. language I can't I I would do this but I can't do this um so that so saying yes and has got to be opening up a lot of draws for people mm. but you're, and you're talking about so I said but and you're talking about communication skills and what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that um the communication skills you're teaching are not just about am I going to get my point across which I think mm. is what a lot of people want out of their communication skills but what you're really talking about is how do I make sure that I'm really understanding other people is that what's you're really talking about absolutely yeah I mean it's it's we're communicating all the time. We're in the presence of another human being, right? Even if we're not talking, we're still communicating. And so if there are two people in conversation with each other, even non-verbally, each person has a story. Each person has, um, I, I, I don't like this, the way this, this word comes out, but an agenda, right? Or, a, um, you know, something that they're hoping to, to get or convey or communicate or, um, something that they hope the other person says or does. So we each bring every part of ourselves to every conversation, our history, our, you know, I, I might, um, there might be a neighbor in my life who, um, has hair and, uh, you know, glasses that look, that remind me of you. And, and so I might already be, you know, nervous around you. That's part of the story of me getting into this conversation with you, Bella. So it's about my own self-awareness. Okay. What is going on for me? What am I here bringing to this conversation, this story? And what is Bella bringing? You know, maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're 
nervous. Maybe you're excited. I don't know until we talk about it, but I'm trying to listen and, and listen, not just to your words, but to all that you're communicating with, with your body language, with the, your tone of voice, all of it is part of the conversation that we're having. So how does that help someone who is working in, in bereavement? Mm. So if you think about that work, that is um, for someone who does that work, right? Someone who's either helping people at the end of their life is, you know, we think about hospice professionals mm -hmm. or bereavement professionals helping people grieve, you know, usually for the, for the person dying or the person grieving, it is either a brand new experience, right? I mean, we only die once. So if they're dying, it's, it's probably their first experience, you know, being on their deathbed, literally. Um, and, and for those who grieve, you know, it depends, but you know, we've, we've all been touched by grief, but this could be the most significant loss someone's had. For someone who does that work day in and day out, it's part of their routine, their habit, their livelihood, their calling, their vocation. It's part of all of that. But for this other person, it is a unique moment in time that will be etched in their memory, right? And if the professional um, is bringing any sort of um, exhaustion to the conversation or resentment, maybe they're being overworked and they don't feel seen and heard by their agency or their organization. Um, maybe they're dealing with their own personal stuff that maybe does or doesn't have to do with bereavement. You know, they might be grieving someone that they've lost. And so, you know, the bereavement professionals and the end of life professionals, they do this so regularly and they do it lovingly. I'm not saying that that's not there, but there is this component of the person who's hearing that message is hearing it for the first time and it will forever be etched in their, in their hearts and in their memory. And so how, how can it be new and, and genuine as they say it this time, how can it be really meeting that person exactly where they are? How can it be um, showing the compassion and the empathy that they need in that moment, despite the fact that this is, you know, the 13th conversation they've had today that's like this. And you were just starting to glow there for those of you who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> As Erin was talking, there was this beautiful glow coming around. Her. I thought maybe there were. <laughs> I can bring it back. I just tilt yes. a little bit. Isn't that, that's just the sunlight. That's just the afternoon that's the sunlight. sunlight. It's, a <laughs> it's such a, it's a lovely sunny day today, the day that we're recording. Yes. So, so you're talking about people being able to bring a, a, an, a real authenticity to conversations that are, um, you know, as you said, are unique for the people who are on the, sort of the client side of it, but yeah. for them, could run can run the risk of becoming routine or perhaps um, uh, tainted. I'll say tainted by mm -hmm. by what, everything else that's going on in the in their life. Mm -hmm. So people need to come and be authentic. But they but but what you're saying is they can't be an authentic in a way that is impacting negatively the people that they're working with. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, that was so well stated. <laughs> I love that, Bella. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And so I think two part of it is, you know, when we do something for such a long time, we forget that it's new to someone else. And, um, you know, in, in my, 
in the acting that I've done since 2006, um, a lot of the work that I've done has been this, this concept of professional role-playing where you can step into a role so that someone can practice having a conversation in, in a very safe and low stakes environment. And then, you know, I'm really that person. And then I'm able to give you feedback and say, okay, like this, you know, when you lean forward, I, I felt really cared for, you know, when you looked off to the side or when you looked down at your notes or when you did this, or, you know, this is how I felt. I felt disconnected. I felt um, confused. When you use this word, I didn't know what you meant. And so I was stuck on that word and I missed the next three things you said. So we can give them that feedback, right? And, and so that's one of the concepts I use now in compassionate coaching is I bring on my professional role players so that people who are having these conversations on a routine basis, or maybe they're new, maybe, you know, maybe they're entering hospice, you know, as a nurse fresh out of nursing school and, and they need to have these really hard conversations. Like, isn't it helpful to have a way to have the conversation before you have to have a conversation, right? And to see what works, to see how much silence is really needed, right? How much pausing is really helpful and effective, how much space we really need to give someone. So that's what I like to do. I like to bring in the acting by bringing in my professional role players so that these people can have conversations and get that feedback and get that practice and then go out and, and, you know, sharpen those tools for the real world when they're working with clients and patients. The, the coaching then that you're talking about is, is much more like, I would say sports coaching, right. Than um, you were talking you know previously sort of about life coaching, you know, where in sports coaching, the athlete will perform an action and then get feedback from the coach. You know, if your hand was a little bit higher, um, you know, have you thought about if you, if you turn your head this way, why don't you try that? So you're really, you're giving that feedback, they're practicing a behavior or an action and you, you're giving the feedback on that. But yeah. what's so cool about it, Erin, is that, is that you're giving feedback as a real human being, right? This is like, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm, I'm playing this role, but I'm still here as a human. I'm still Aaron and I still react emotionally. If you don't look me in the eye when you, you know, you're telling me what's going to happen next in my journey, right? Yes. Those are the kinds of things that you're able to do by bringing your humanness to it, but also mm -hmm. your, your professional acting experience. Yes. That is very cool. Yeah, no, that's a great point is that, you know, and it's all about the emotional life, right? And and we all walk through life and every day with these emotions that are just, you know, at the surface or bubbling underneath. And, and yeah, so that's the beauty of it is that we can, you know, as, as actors who, who have this specific training and skill set, like we can be anyone, like we can literally be anyone, even if we're not familiar with the situation because we can step into those shoes based on the emotional state of that person, right? So I can be, you know, a, a cancer, you know, patient, I can be a hospice patient, I can be those things because I can connect myself. Now, granted, I don't have that lived experience. So I'm not trying to say, right. you know, oh, it's, it's so easy to step into. No, it's not. It's not easy. Um, it's not easy, but there is a realness to it. And that is the highest compliment we can ever receive when we do this work is that, oh, that felt real. I felt like I was really talking to a patient. 
I, that's, that's exactly how that patient would respond. Like, then we know we got it, you know, like if we get that feedback that, no, this felt really real. Um, so, but it's just about connecting to me as a human being, being very aware of my own emotions, my own, um, fluctuations of emotion and just being very present so that I can be that person fully let go of my inner critic, right? Because that's always going to be there telling me this and that and just be present so that I can give really honest feedback about the words that were said, the things that were done and how I felt as another human being. Wow. You know, that really, it answers a question for me that I've that I've had for a long time, which is sort of a little bit off topic to the coaching, but it's maybe may related. So I always wonder for for people who are acting and you you did a lot of your acting in in this professional role playing role as being i think i believe a standard patient right yeah but yeah. For, for people who are acting um who are doing this kind of the same thing over and over again who are people who are um you know on stage and doing the same show night after night how do they keep that fresh right mm -hmm. how is that which is isn't that the same thing that you're talking about with these professionals that you are coaching it's keeping that that their performance fresh right yeah. so you know actors, actors you know on this marvelous broadway show and they've done you know eight shows a week and they're really exhausted and their feet hurt and you know somebody at home is mad at them for saying but they have to get on stage and be this other person just the same way they did yesterday or maybe even better than they did yesterday so yeah yeah so so is that how that works is i mean it's it, you it takes training it to learn to do that. I mean, that's not yeah. people, but something people can do naturally. Yeah, no. And I've done less like once I, once I learned, um, once I fell in love with, with playback theater, which is improv and there's no scripted component of it, then I, I basically didn't do a lot of other like, like stage yeah. theater after that. But the, the little bit of stage theater I have done, it is a challenge what you're saying. And I think I think it's, it is about becoming that person. Like, and you can tell the actors, like if you see a show more than once, you're like, that guy delivered the lines exactly the same way. And it's like, you kind of get into a rhythm and you have to, you have to watch yourself from like, just being a rote, you know, like saying uh -huh. it exactly the same way every night, you have to be present. Like you, you have to, cause, cause that person over there, your scene partner may be saying things in a little different way you know, or may take a little bit more of a pause before looking at you. And you've got to be present to that so that you know that, you know, your response should be more um, spontaneous. I mean, scripted, but, but spontaneous. Yeah, that's, that's an art. And I don't, I honestly don't miss scripted theater. It's not something <laughs> I want to go back to anytime soon. So yeah, I'd forgotten about that, that part of it where it's like, how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it um, authentic and real every time for every single performance. That's a great question, Bella. <laughs> the, yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's something that I could do for sure. Um, so tell us about playback theater. What is, what is that? So playback theater, it's an improvisational art form. And in a playback theater show, um, let's say, let's say we're doing this, um, and it's just open to the public. Anyone can come. Um, there's a troupe of playback actors and a musician or two, and then someone who conducts or facilitates the process. And we would have just invited people to come to the show, you know, from the public and, and there would be a theme, like maybe the theme is, um, 
I was going to say we're coming up on Valentine's Day, but that's uh, that'll be in the past by the time by the time this is aired. But let's say, you know, summer's coming. And so maybe maybe the theme is, you know, summers from my past or summer memories from my childhood or, you know, I'm just making this up. So, But there's some kind of theme. And then people come to the playback show, the performance. And through the guidance of this conductor, this facilitator, the they will answer questions, right? And it could it could be you know really simple at first, like how was your day? You know how did you get here tonight or today? Like what? Tell me about a story from your day, or maybe the theme is more in line with a, a feeling, like stories of joy. And we're like, okay, what made you joyful today? So the conductor will ask a question, and someone will answer, and then they will get more details and ask some more questions to get that deeper story. Meanwhile, the actors and the musician are on stage and we're just listening very intently, right? And so this is a little conversation that's happening. Everyone else in the audience can hear the conversation, hear the storytelling happening. And then the conductor will say, let's watch. And as soon as they say, let's watch, everyone witnesses the playing back, hence the name playback, of that story and it's with music and movement and drama and we elevate it in an artistic way and it's not a chronological story we play back different elements of the story different moments that were important to the person remember we're listening to that storyteller and we're attuned to their nonverbal. so maybe their tone really changed maybe they got a little choked up when they talked about you know they remember going to the beach with their family when they were young, or maybe they, you know, maybe they went over this part really fast, but it really, they came back to it later. Right. And so we pick up on those things. And so maybe I might decide to, to kind of bring that to the forefront. And so I might be, you know, the beach, I might be the mama, I might be, um, you know, that person as a kid. And so we play back their story and we reflect it back to them. And the whole audience has experienced the storytelling and then the, the reflection of that story with this music and movement and drama. And it's really transformational. Um, it's really a cathartic and beautiful experience. And then one story leads to another and someone else will tell a story and, and we move through the show, the evening or the day together and, and people tell stories and we play it back for them. We honor them with our stories, with our artistry. Wow. Wow. I can imagine that. I mean, you know, people talk about that feeling of like, I feel seen. I mean, yes. you would really feel seen, right? Yes. Right. Wow. Wow. And then the, the actors and the musicians, of course, they're not like talking to each other or planning. Here's what we're going to do. It's yep. all improv. Yep. And you're, you're, you're moving the story forward um, yep. and building on what each, each the, the other people are doing. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no pre-planning. We just, um, when we get to like a, if we do a fuller show and it's, it's a longer show, like maybe 90 minutes, then, then we get to the point where we're, people are telling longer stories and then they do get to choose who they want to play them in the story. So they get to select one of the actors, but that's really the only planning that happens, right. Is, is those longer forms and they can actually cast the story. I want you to be my mom. I want you to be me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's spontaneous. Are you ever surprised by who people pick? Oh yeah. All the time. 
all the time. I'm actually delightfully surprised because, you know, sometimes we get it in our head that, you know, we, men, men can't play women and women can't play men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm white, but, you know, I've definitely played people of color and people of color have played white people. And, you know, the, the audience seems to get it by that point that we've been together for, you know, an hour or so, and now we're getting into like the deeper stories. And so I I'm delighted that they feel comfortable asking someone to to play them that might not look like them or be the same age or be the same race. And um, that's just uh, wonderful. It's, it's exciting to see that. It's really, they're just really demonstrating a high level of trust in, in what you good, what you might do. Yes. That's a good point. They probably intuitively trust someone with their story that, you know, they've seen them do other stories and they know they know they can trust them. That's a, that's a very good point. It probably is a very deep level of trust that they're, that they're using to guide that decision. So do you do this with your clients? Is this something that your clients get to experience? Yeah. So this is one of the main things that I do. Um, And like I said, I mean, by the time this, this airs, it'll be, it'll be completed, but I hope to do it again is that, you know, I'm inviting all these people to come and, and experience this. And I, I call it the stories we hold because as you can tell, playback theater is like, what's that? I don't know. Let me explain it. And it takes a while. So uh-huh. I, I kind of shortened it and say, it's just the stories we hold. And then I just say, you know, we're, you're going to be able to, to have a chance to experience some storytelling and story reflection, and you're going to give and receive empathy. So that's like kind of it in a nutshell, but it's really much more, you know, expansive than that. Um, yeah. So I, I do like to to bring this to my clients and then bring this to people who I think in the community who, who would enjoy this. And, and hopefully once they see it, they can say, oh yes, like this is, this is great. Like we need this for our team, or I'd like to bring this to this group um, because it is such a powerful tool. I can imagine this being used, say in an organization where the organization has gone through some kind of trauma, maybe after a layoff or, you know, some business setback, you know, or something that was, you know, something that was challenging for the business. Cause often in the, in business, we don't talk about those things. We just, oh yeah, we just experienced this thing happened to us. We all felt it. And we are told to, you know, get back to work and, and get back to business as usual and keep our eyes on the prize and keep moving forward. How powerful this would be, Erin, to use with an organization who have stories like that, mutual stories of, um, you know, things yeah. that the organization has been through. Oh, Bella, I think that's a lovely idea. And like you brought up trust earlier, that takes a deep level of trust from the management team, right? To say, Mm -hmm. we're opening ourselves up to the, you know, giving you the microphone, our employees, our teams, like you are the ones who get to share how you feel about this. Um, I have been involved, not, so my experience with playback theater predates my business. So I've, I've been doing playback since 2010 and I've been in many, many shows and um, through many, many different, you know, venues and, and organizations. And, um, but it has been used in that capacity to, you know, maybe there's a big change in the company or a, a new CEO, or, you know, maybe yeah. there was yeah. some scandal even, you know, where, where there's been some public um, awareness of a company and, and bringing in almost like a town hall meeting, but with an artistic flair, that is um, a huge level of trust that the that the leadership team has to have because you're bringing in 
you're basically letting letting people share what they really feel and then letting these you know quote unquote strangers come in and and take it and run with it artistically it's a risk yeah yeah but but good leaders right they you know oh. they have to be able to do they, have, they, they do. have to let that happen yeah um, because yeah, if, if there is not that level of trust in the organization, they're not going to be able to move forward effectively anyway. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so tell us about kind of what's happening um, with your with your clients now. In, and things are different, a little bit different, I think, than they were during the pandemic. Um, is there Has there been a lot of turnover and a lot of new people going into uh, these professions? There has been, I, I think that, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not hands-on in the industry, so I can't yeah. really speak to it for sure. But my understanding is, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, there were some people who were, and just like we saw in education and other healthcare mm -hmm. fields, some people who just said, you know, goodbye, like I'm, I'm done. Taking, I'm, done. I'm taking is... early retirement. I'm done. I'm going to do something else. Or they had to, because their kids were home all of a sudden, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or their grandkids were home and they needed to be caregivers so that the parents would still go to work. So, so I think there was a, a, a drop, a decline. Um, and I think staffing is, is always a challenge in the U S and healthcare. I think that that's, that's just across the board. I think it's a field where people burn out very quickly. I can only imagine that, you know, in, in the really challenging fields of hospice or bereavement, that there is um, a lot of turnover, a lot of burnout. Um, and that's really part of my mission is that, you know, usually when I talk to people about who I, who I want to serve and who I feel called to serve, they're like, oh yeah, bereavement, hospice, I could never do that. And I'm like, I could never do that. Like it literally is a calling. I think we're all on the same page that like the people who do that work are are called to do it it is a purpose-filled job if you even want to call it a job and so my goal is to make sure that they can do it as long as they want to and not feel that they have to leave because they are burnt out because they are you know not taking care of themselves because they're so busy you know, being a caregiver to everyone else, not be, not leave because of, you know, not feeling seen and heard by management, not feeling understood and valued by the organization or the agency. Like I want them to be able to do this work as long as they can and they want to, um, mm -hmm. because that's not everyone can do it. We all agree that like there are few people statistically who can do that work and do it well. And 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 do it and thrive themselves, right? Yes. Not be, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But what you it sounds like what you're bringing to them is, um, it's is is some is some sort of resilience, right? Because because if somebody is do, I would imagine that if somebody's doing that work, if they became completely a hundred percent emotionally involved in every single case, it would be very hard to keep going right mm -hmm. so they have to like other and other people in healthcare maintain some level of detachment from what mm -hmm. they're doing but on the other hand as we discussed previously too much detachment they're not going to be effective right? yeah they're, yeah they're not going to do what the what the what the work needs them to do yes yes the boundaries i think are so critical and and they're, they're critical on an individual level, right? Like everyone has to have their own individual boundaries, but then as a system, like we have to, 
healthcare needs to have, you know, things in place so that the employees who work there can know that their boundaries are being respected, right? Um, I think it's Brene Brown who says that the opposite or the antidote to burnout is not rest, it's wholeheartedness, right? It's- Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, we've got to, we've got to make sure that people are full, right? That they're being fed and that they're, they have everything that they need so that they can do that work and not, and not burn out. And yeah, not, not have that boundaryless um, caregiving that, that literally just drains you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. And I love the idea of you, Erin, um, and the people that presumably that you are influencing being the sort of the caregivers that are supporting the caregivers. It's, it's a fantastic um, approach that you are doing. Yeah, really. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's really funny. I've gone through many different, I mean, many different jobs in my years. I was a teacher for the first two years out of college. I floated around and did a lot of different things, but I remember at one point I said, well, maybe I could be a nurse. Maybe I could. And I went to like a little open house at at a, a local nursing school or something that was just opening. And I remember like, I should have known better. Like I get weak at the sight of blood. Like this is not something <laughs> I can do. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I was married at the time, but I was dating my, my, my husband, my future husband. And he was like, why did you go? <laughs> like, don't you know this about yourself that like, you can't handle blood? Like, what do you, how do you think you could be a nurse? And so like, yeah, it's like, I know that I cannot do that work. Like literally it's not mm-hmm. in my constitution. And yet I can, I can support the people who do the work. Yeah. 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 Which is really needed. It's, it's mm-hmm. very much needed. Yeah. Erin, yeah. how can people find you if they, they want to continue this conversation, learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I would just encourage people to reach out, email me. So I'm Erin, E-R-I-N at compassionatecoaching.org. And my website is www.compassionatecoaching.org. And I would just, yeah, I would love to continue the conversation in my inbox. So you can just feel free to, to send me an email. That's great. So reach out to Erin, continue the conversation. So what is your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? Well, I know I mentioned Brene Brown a little bit earlier. Yeah, This actually yeah. comes from Brene Brown. I love her. Um, she writes that we should we should have like a one inch by one inch piece of paper. That should be the size of paper that you write down all the names of the people whose opinions you really value, right? Because I feel as a young person, especially in this day and age, I mean, I'm in my forties. So, you know, I can't imagine being a young person now with just the internet at its level. Mm, Yeah. There's just so much, right? There's so much. There's so many experts telling you what to do. So many opinions out there, so much information out there. But if you just keep in mind, who are the people whose opinion I really value and, and maybe even do that, maybe even write down on a one inch by one inch piece of paper, like the names of the people. And then that can help you like kind of narrow in on letting go of the noise that's out there. Right. And just really 
really just know yourself and know that you don't have to do all the things. You really don't have to do all the things that people say you have to do, whether it's business or schooling or whatever it is. Wow, that that's really really wonderful advice because uh, that's a very small piece of paper, right? You're it not really gonna is. get a lot of names on that. I know. You're not gonna like, yeah, yeah, but you don't have to be perfect at everything the way that the mm. world tells you. Mm-mm. Wonderful advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Erin Whalen, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lena. Lena, I really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much from you, and I wish you all the best with your upcoming um, community get together. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. I love chatting with you, Bella. Thanks. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Erin Whalen for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Erin at CompassionateCoaching.org or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at LeanForHumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.